G'day, welcome to Just In Case Law. Picture this situation. You have a neighbour who is 90 years old. You've been neighbours for a while. You know she had three children, and you believe that her son has been taking care of her finances since her mental capacity began declining. You recall there was some mention that he was appointed as his mother's attorney, and the daughters were a bit miffed not to be appointed as well. You talk to your neighbour frequently, and you begin to suspect that her son is taking her money and property. What can you do? Well, in New South Wales, what you can do is apply to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal to review the son's appointment as his mother's attorney. But if you're thinking that the tribunal has the power to make everything right again, you might be in for a bit of a shock. I wanted to cover this case because it illustrates the factors the tribunal must consider and the potential orders that it can make. Ultimately, it may leave you disillusioned, but I think it's important to have a realistic idea of how our justice system works in reality. If anything, it may encourage people to be more cautious at the start, knowing that there may not be a perfect solution if things go wrong. The background. In this case, the identities of the parties are removed to protect their privacy. They are referred to as Mrs. PGB, Miss IAB, Miss TBB, and Mr. HCB. But no way am I using those pseudonyms, it would just be too confusing. So I'm going to refer to the parties as the mum, daughter A, daughter B, and the son. The mother is 92 years old. She has three children, two daughters and a son. Years before this matter came before the tribunal, the mother had done the right thing by getting her estate plan in order. She had executed a power of attorney and enduring guardian. An enduring power of attorney is where you appoint someone to manage your finances if you ever lose capacity. And an enduring guardian is appointing someone to make medical decisions for you if you ever lose capacity. In New South Wales, these are two separate appointments, your attorney versus your guardian, and sometimes it makes sense to have someone appointed as your attorney but not your guardian. You might trust someone more to manage finances, whereas you might trust a family member or a close personal friend to make medical decisions for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same person. The common thing is that these documents will usually come into effect if you are no longer able to make decisions for yourself. In this case, the mother had appointed her daughters to be her guardians and had appointed her son to be her attorney. While the guardianship only started if the mother lost capacity, the power of attorney started immediately meaning the son was able to act as attorney from the time the document was signed in 2009. And just to repeat, the power of attorney deals with finances, which meant the son could deal with his mother's finances, manage her money and property from 2009. The mother lived in a house in northern Sydney for many years, and up until March 2014, she owned the house. At that time, however, the son, using his power as his mother's attorney, 
transferred ownership of the house to himself. The mother continued to live in the house, oblivious to the fact that she no longer owned it, and was receiving regular in-home care from an aged care service provider. But in September, the aged care service provider had to withdraw their services because their fees were not being paid. They were in fact owed $12,000 in fees by this time. They had been contacting the son as the attorney, seeking payment of their fees, but he let the debt accrue to the point where they just couldn't work without payment anymore. In their correspondence terminating their services for unpaid fees, they copied in Daughter A. It was only at this time that the daughters became aware that the son wasn't seeing the payment of his mother's care fees, and on closer examination, they found out that he had transferred Mum's house to himself. Daughter A applied to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, also referred to as NCAT, for her brother to be removed from his position as attorney and to be appointed as her mother's financial manager. We have a slight difference in terms there. When you appoint someone to manage your finances, you do it by the power of attorney and the person is called the attorney. Whereas where the tribunal appoints someone to manage your finances, it is called a financial manager. They do the same role, but it's just a different title. The Hearing The matter came before the tribunal, and it is normal in these proceedings for parties not to be represented by a lawyer. In fact, you need to seek the tribunal's permission to have a lawyer represent you during proceedings, and you have to have a good reason why they should let you. NCAT tribunal proceedings are designed not to need legal representation, so they're designed to be less formal. You're provided guidance along the way about what you need to submit and when you need to submit it. And you can have legal assistance in the background. Sometimes it can help to have a lawyer help you prepare your documents, your applications and your submissions. It can help to have a lawyer say, this is the type of evidence you should gather and present to the tribunal. But if you want a lawyer at the tribunal hearings, speaking on your behalf at the hearings, that's when you need the tribunal permission. In this case, the daughters applied to be represented by a solicitor. And they did so because they felt that otherwise they were at a disadvantage. You see, they were going up against their brother, who just so happened to be a solicitor himself. They felt that due to their own lack of legal training, this would give the son the upper hand. The tribunal allowed for them to be represented by a solicitor at the hearing. During the hearing, all parties are present. The applicant, who was daughter A, Daughter B as well as an interested family member, the son as the attorney whose actions were in question, and the mother as the person of interest, or the protected person. Even though the protected person will normally have capacity issues, they are encouraged and assisted to participate in the hearing as much as they are able to. Pre-COVID, all guardianship division hearings would be in person, During COVID, they were able to continue with video conferencing and telephone, 
and have continued to do so to a certain extent because it takes away the hassle of hiring rooms and parties travelling to locations. This case was pre-COVID, so the hearing took place in person. The Sun left a message for the tribunal, stating that, due to a health-related matter, he would be unable to attend the hearing, but might be able to speak on the phone. During the hearing, the tribunal attempted to contact him on the phone a number of times, but he didn't answer. They left a message inviting him to join the hearing by telephone. Now, there is a four-step process that the tribunal will normally follow in these matters. The first step is to question, is the mother incapable of managing her affairs? If she is capable and able to make decisions, she's free to do so and what the hell are we doing here? If she has capacity, the application will most likely be denied and go no further. Here is where there needs to be evidence of lack of or diminished capacity, such as the mother's medical reports and assessment. What does it mean to say that someone does not have capacity? It means that she is incapable of dealing in a reasonably competent fashion with the, quote, ordinary routine affairs of man, end quote. Also, due to that lack of competence, This person is at real risk of being disadvantaged in the conduct of their affairs or that money or property will be dissipated or lost. The, quote, ordinary routine affairs of man, end quote, are not simply being able to go to the bank and get money out. To quote Justice Young, they, quote, are more complicated than that and the ordinary affairs of mankind involve at least planning for the future working out how one will feed oneself and one's family, and how one is going to generate income and look after capital. Accordingly, while one does not have to be a person who is capable of managing complex financial affairs, one has to go beyond just managing household bills. End quote. That is the first question. Is the mother incapable of managing her affairs? The second question is, is there a need for a person to manage the mother's affairs and is it in her best interest for a financial manager to be appointed? So first, let's look at the first part of that. Is there a need for a person to manage the mother's affairs? Is there something for the financial manager to do? Because if there isn't, why are we even appointing one? It doesn't count if one day in the future a financial manager may be needed. This is all about the present and if one is needed right now. Not only if one is needed, but if it is in the mother's best interest for one to be appointed. The third step or the third question is, if there is a need for a financial manager now, who should it be? And at this point, the tribunal isn't restricted to only considering the applicant or the person the applicant has put forward. The applicant that kicked this whole process off may be seeking to be appointed themselves or may have nominated a person they think should be appointed. But the tribunal is not limited to just considering that person. 
They will look at all the immediate family members and open it up for interested persons to nominate themselves. And then, considering all possible people, the tribunal will choose who is the most appropriate. It could also, and routinely considers, whether to appoint the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian as financial manager. The New South Wales Trustee and Guardian will usually be the financial manager of last resort. So if no one puts their hand up, if no one is willing to act, or if no one is suitable to act, it could very well be that the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian can be appointed as financial manager. Finally, having chosen who to appoint, the tribunal decides what powers the person will need and how long to appoint them for. I've been very vague up to this point talking about being able to manage someone's financial affairs. And generally, when you appoint an attorney, your attorney can do exactly that. They can access your bank accounts. They can set up and cancel direct debits. They can withdraw money. If you have shares, they could sell them. If you have investments, they could reinvest it. If you have real estate, they could sell, mortgage, lease, or transfer it. Basically, anything you can do with your money and property, your attorney can also do. When the tribunal appoints a financial manager, they may appoint them only for a specific task. So if they looked at a situation and said, the only financial decision that needs to be made is surrounding the sale of real estate, it could very well be that that's the only power given, that a financial manager is appointed with the power to sell the property. If much broader financial assistance is required, it could be much broader powers given to do all of those financial dealings that an attorney might. Let's turn back to this case and go through those above steps like the tribunal did. First, incapacity. The mother has Alzheimer's dementia. The tribunal had the reports of an aged care assessment team and a psychogeriatric assessment that demonstrated that the mother had significant cognitive impairment. The tribunal members also spoke with the mother during the hearing by telephone and noted that she demonstrated cognitive impairment. It's almost like um, reinforcing the medical evidence to talk to her and determine for themselves. But a part of it is also getting her own wishes as well. So the medical opinion might be that she lacks capacity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't take what her wishes are into consideration. So for the first step, incapacity has been proven. Second, is there a need for a financial manager to be appointed? Since she already had her son appointed as her attorney, this changes the issue slightly and the tribunal needs to consider the attorney's willingness and ability to manage the financial affairs. Because if it is appropriate for a financial manager to be appointed, this will suspend the appointment of the attorney. The tribunal needs to consider this carefully because the attorney is the person who was specifically chosen by the mother. If they are to override her wishes, 
they need to have a good reason for doing so. The tribunal noted that it was regrettable that the son was not participating in the hearing because he could have provided them with valuable information. After all, it was his actions that were being called into question and he could perhaps explain why he acted as he did. Instead, the tribunal turned to the evidence of Mr Kay. For an extended period, Mr Kay had been the mother's accountant and tax advisor. In 2007, however, he ceased to act as the son preferred the services of another accountant. Basically, while the mother had capacity, she sought the financial advice of Mr Kay. When she lost capacity and the son took over her finances, he arranged for another accountant to provide advice. Mr Kay provided a summary of the mother's financial position in 2007. At that time, she had owned the home in northern Sydney outright, worth about $1.8 million. She owned a 100% interest in the family company, which had assets of about $1.5 million, and the company had loaned the son $400,000 and the applicant, daughter A, $50,000. The mother had annual income of $75,000 a year from investments, not including distributions from the family company. So, I think it's fair to say that in 2007, she was well off and quite comfortable, with enough assets to provide for her financial security for the rest of her life. By September 2014, her financial position was radically different. She no longer owned her home and was merely a tenant. The son had provided information to the tribunal that the home had been sold and the proceeds used to pay off a mortgage. Details of the mortgage were unknown, as there was no mortgage on the property in 2007. The son also said the balance of the proceeds were used to invest in a company. Details again unknown, might have been the family company, might not. The son had transferred the house to himself, and then sold it. And the property's new owner was, in effect, renting it out to the mother. She didn't know this was going on, but she was a tenant. The property's new owner was actually owed a substantial amount of rent from the mother and intended to commence proceedings to have her evicted from the home. Obviously, because she didn't know she was renting, she didn't know to pay rent. But it turns out that the son wasn't paying rent on her behalf. Then there was also the outstanding fees for the aged care service provider of $12,000. So not only was the aged care service provider an essential service the mother absolutely needed, not only was that cancelled due to unpaid bills, but the son had also failed to pay the mother's rent and she was on the brink of being kicked out of her home. The tribunal noted that on the face of matters, this was a pronounced degradation of the mother's financial position. The tribunal had questions without answers, as I'm sure we all do. Why was the house sold? Where had that mortgage come from? And, quote, Why does a nonagenarian lady of limited cognitive capacity grant a mortgage over her residence? End quote. On a side note, 
I did not know that the name for a person in their 90s was nonagenarian. I once asked my friend who is 96 what the term would be, and she said Nintendo. I will have to tell her she was wrong. Another question the tribunal was asking themselves was, quote, Why are the proceeds of sale of the mother's house invested in a company which is engaged in litigation, rather than invested prudently in safe income-producing investments? End quote. So not only was her funds invested in a company of which we have provided very little details, rather than being, I don't know, used to pay her rent or her aged care fees, but it also just so happened that that company was engaged in litigation at the time of investment. The tribunal noted that there may well have been perfectly reasonable answers to these questions, but without the son's participation, they couldn't get answers from him. On the face of it, it did indicate that the mother's financial position had worsened under her son's management, and he had not provided an explanation. They therefore determined that it was in the mother's best interest for the son's appointment as attorney to be suspended and a financial manager to be appointed. Now that the tribunal has confirmed that the mother needs a financial manager, who should it be? The tribunal will take into account the views and opinions of all relevant parties, starting with the mother herself. She spoke to the tribunal members by phone, but because of her disabilities, she wasn't able to appreciate the nature of the proceedings or give her views. The daughters were next. They supported the appointment of a financial manager. When their mother had first appointed their brother as her attorney, they were fine with it and made sense because of his legal training and commercial experience. So they sat back while he managed their mother's finances, believing that everything was well in hand and their mother was looked after. But over the years, they became aware of instances of bills being unpaid, being paid late, and he was unable to provide explanations. All of this hit critical levels when they discovered that the aged care service provider was cancelling their contract for non-payment, the mother's house was sold, and the family company owned by the mother had been deregistered. Any of these individually would be cause for concern, but taken together, occurring around the same time, demanded immediate investigation and action. While the son didn't attend the hearing, prior to the hearing he had told a tribunal officer that he would not oppose the appointment of a financial manager as he had found it time-consuming to manage his mother's finances. There appeared to be all-around agreement that a financial manager should be appointed, but who should it be? The tribunal noted that there are advantages of appointing a family member for smaller estates, because a family member may have greater familiarity with the assets and liabilities, and won't charge any fees. There is also a greater capacity for the financial manager to interact with the protected person and assist the protected person to be part of decision-making, as much as she is able to do so. You would also expect there to be love and affection for the protected person and concern for her quality of life 
To motivate a family member to do their best, go above and beyond in managing the finances of the protected person. Family members can sometimes be problematic because they may lack financial management skills. There can also be family discord that can affect them performing their duties. For instance, if you were to appoint the two daughters together, you would want to be sure that they could work together as well. Also, their role could very well involve taking legal action against their brother on behalf of their mother. Could they do this? Family members are right there in the middle of things, which means they have the inside knowledge and the heart, but it may also mean that they can't be impartial. A professional with relevant skills may be appointed as the financial manager, such as a lawyer or an accountant. Obviously, a professional will charge fees for the work they do. So while they bring professional skills and knowledge to the role, it does come at a cost. In this case, the tribunal considered Mr. K. He was the longtime accountant and tax advisor to the mother before her son took over as attorney. He was willing to take on the role, but the tribunal decided they preferred if Mr. K would act as advisor to the financial manager and not as the manager himself. As a last resort, the tribunal can appoint the New South Wales trustee and guardian as financial manager. They are impartial, and there is a benefit of not having a particular person appointed. It doesn't matter if the person is sick, goes on holidays or dies. Another employee steps in and covers it until the case manager returns. The daughters were concerned, however, that the trustee and guardian wouldn't be able to act with sufficient urgency that their mother's situation required. The daughters were seeking to be appointed themselves as financial managers and expressed that, with the assistance of Mr. K and a solicitor, they would be more able to move quickly to take control of their mother's finances and take protective measures. The tribunal was impressed with the daughters' evidence, their demeanour and their interaction with their mother, their commitment to their mother's welfare. They noted the speed with which they lodged this application and their preparedness to lodge a financial plan. The tribunal determined that it was in the mother's best interest for her daughters to be appointed as her financial managers, subject to the directions of the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian. The tribunal also ordered that the matter be reviewed in three months by which time the daughters should have obtained a more complete picture of their mother's financial position and how it has changed since 2007. The son was ordered that within a month he had to a. deliver up to his sisters all documents and details for their mother's assets, b. provide all details of the amount and disposal of the sale proceeds from the sale of the house, c a list of all assets for the financial managers to take control of, and d, a full accounting of all payments made, amounts received, liabilities incurred, and assets acquired or disposed of by him when acting as the mother's attorney. While recognising the son's ill health, if you remember that's the reason he couldn't participate in this hearing, and how it might make doing all of this more burdensome, They stated that their primary concern must be the mother's best interests.
And sadly, that is all the information I have for you on this case. We don't really get to see the outcome. We only get to see the start. There is so much concerning about this case. There is the fact that the son did some transactions that were wildly not in his mother's best interest. Transferring the house to himself, which I'm assuming he did so without paying her anything, just transferred her house to himself, sold it, leased it so that she's subject to a lease but not paying rent so she's also going to be evicted from her home. Her home of over a decade, at a time when she's already got diminished capacity. So any change in environment like that would also be wildly traumatic for her. Then also failing to pay her aged care service provider that was providing her with absolutely essential service needs. It's scary to think how her health might have deteriorated or the risk she was exposed to not having the supports that she needed. And finally, there was the fact that he's a solicitor, that this is someone with legal knowledge who did all of this. It really is a truly concerning case, and I believe an example of elder abuse. But I want to end on a more positive note and recognise that the daughters did the right thing. They recognised that there were suspect transactions going on. They applied to the tribunal to look into it and a new financial manager was appointed. They did everything right and the tribunal was able to assist with appointing a new financial manager. So at least steps could start to be taken to investigate what happened and potentially correct the mother's situation. So. Let us at least end on that positive note and take that as a lesson to anyone that if there are suspect transactions, if you do have concerns about financial dealings with someone else's money, that you can apply to the tribunal for it to be investigated further. I hope you found this this case interesting and I hope you'll join me for my next episode. 